all you hardheads, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 21, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. We've almost made it to the weekend, everybody. Hope you guys have had a good week so far. Uh, I'm sorry for missing the show yesterday. I was extremely tired. I slept way too much, uh, probably more than any human should be, but I was just exhausted yesterday for, for, for reasons that escaped me. I don't know. Maybe it was just rainy outside. Maybe it was just because I was sleep-deprived, although I really like to think that I keep a nice sleep schedule nowadays. It wasn't always that way. I've been a horrible sleeper pretty much all my life but I've been trying to keep a better sleep schedule recently so I don't know why I was so tired yesterday uh, I'm not sure uh, what the reasoning was for it but we're gonna try and make up for it today with a really nice show uh, we're gonna be talking about Watson to Carolina rumors uh, that emerged over the last couple of days it's probably nothing take it with a, ginor a ginormous grain of salt but apparently Deshaun Watson has okayed a trade to the Jets Dolphins and Panthers we'll talk about that on the show we're also talking about a uh, Tiger Woods car crash how we probably just saw the ending of Tiger Woods's career uh, in the in the snap of a fingers I mean I don't know how much of you know or what you all know about anatomy, but that injury uh, is probably a career ender for Tiger Woods. Maybe, you know, the, the I, I, I want to say it's a career ender, but the reality is, is that maybe just because he plays golf as among any other sport, you know, golf is, is surprisingly physically demanding, but not in the, in the ways that you would think. Um, so maybe he has the potential to come back. It is Tiger Woods. He is in a, he is a tremendous athlete, but at this point with all his back surgeries, with all, um, all he's had to endure, I would imagine that an injury like that is probably the end for Tiger Woods. So talk a little bit about Tiger today. Also going to talk about Alex Smith and in an interview that came out, him talking about uh, him feeling that the Washington football team didn't want him on the roster, didn't want him to play, they didn't want to give him a chance, and they kind of hung him out to dry as, according to him, um, uh, I don't think Washington, I don't think the Washington football team has commented on this. Uh, if they have, I must have missed it, but we're going to talk about that situation today. And we're also going to do the eighth installment of the front office frenzy. We've had a couple of bad teams in a row. We had an easy one last time, but I think we had the Cowboys and the Falcons back to back, which was an absolute dumpster fire for me. Uh, those were really rough teams to do. And, um, uh, hopefully we get an easier team. Hopefully we get an easy team today. I always hope that we get an easy team, but the reality is is that there's going to be some difficult teams eventually down the road. So I don't know. I guess I'll just take what I'm given, but hopefully we get a good team today. I just got to pray to whoever's upstairs, if you believe in that person, <laughs> uh, that uh, I get a good team. But today we are going to start with the Watson rumors, the Deshaun Watson rumors. I am really tired of talking about Deshaun Watson, and I say that while I'm making a Deshaun Watson segment, but... Yeah, I'm under the impression that, look, the Tetsons are probably aren't going to trade Deshaun Watson anytime soon. Any news that comes out is probably speculation more than anything else. And I understand that I'm saying this all while I'm talking about speculation and news about Deshaun Watson. I get it. I understand the, hypocr the hypocrisy or at least the irony. It's not It's not hypocrisy. It's more irony than anything else. But I, I understand that um, as, as much as I am tired of talking about Deshaun Watson, as much as... Um, a lot of it is hearsay or speculation or rumors and, and mis mis um, mysterious confirmed sources, you know, <laughs> I, I, I still I still have to bite on it and talk about it. And specifically in this situation. And remember, folks, take this with a gigantic grain of salt. This could be completely fake. But the reason that I'm talking about it anyways is because I'm interested in the idea that it presents. 
Uh, reportedly, according to an ESPN outlet, it was an ESPN radio outlet on Twitter, which is a, a weird outlet to be getting this news from. Um, so that immediately sends signals to my brain that it's taken. Look, the media just likes to take something or take nothing and make it into something. So here we go. Um, the rumors are is that Deshaun Watson has okayed a trade to the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Panthers, which makes sense given the criteria of what these teams provide as trade partners for the Houston Texans. The Jets and Dolphins both have an, an enormous amount of draft picks and cap space. The Carolina Panthers have recently generated a bunch of cap space. They do have the number eight overall pick, and they could probably supply subsequent first-round picks for a couple of years out. So as far as potential trade destinations for Deshaun Watson, it checks all the boxes, the mental boxes that you would need to check if you're an owner and saying, okay, cap space, yep. Yeah. Okay, draft picks, yep. Yeah. Okay, uh, uh value at what we can get for the player that we're going to trade yeah all of those teams have the the resources necessary to make a trade with houston which is probably why they're confirmed sources and you can already tell by me talking about it i kind of feel like this is fake but regardless the idea of deshaun watson going to carolina is why i want to talk about this because the jets the jets are probably not going to land Deshaun Watson. They might not even want to land Deshaun Watson with you know what they've going for them right now. They've got a bunch of drafts, uh, draft picks. They could pretend they could get a quarterback with their number two pick. They don't know what they want to do with Sam Darnold yet. And the Dolphins have already made it explicitly clear that they want to stick with Tua. So that really leaves the Carolina Panthers. And it, it's kind of interesting that um, I believe this ESPN affiliate, this radio affiliate, was in Greenville. And that's in the Carolinas, so maybe a little bit of of, of barrel fishing here. Um, which I just I, I kind of just made that connection, so well, we'll see how that develops. So regardless, the idea of Deshaun Watson in Carolina is intriguing to me. Because Carolina currently is under the ownership of David Tepper and their head coach is Mark Rule. And what we have seen in the first couple of seasons with these two is the fact that they are an extremely aggressive tandem of, of front office people. Um, they are extremely aggressive in what they want to do. I mean, David Tepper basically came in and he said, okay, look, Cam Newton, you you were an MVP. You were great for us in the past, but get out of here. We don't want you. They essentially said the same thing to Ron Rivera. He said, Ron, you've done great for us. You're a fantastic head coach, but you're not the person that we want in this position. All right, go on, get out of here. And as much as I will always hold the opinion that Ron Rivera is a fantastic head coach and Carolina made a mistake firing Ron Rivera, at least you can have some respect in the fact that at least David Tepper has hired somebody in Mark Rule that appears to be competent and appears to be doing a good job in Carolina. And you have to respect their aggressiveness and what they want because what they want is to win and that's not always the case with these with these owners in the NFL they all the winning is not always the the priority it's the business side of things it's it's the fact that you have a shiny new toy in an NFL franchise I mean, all NFL owners are are built the same so David Tepper appears to be built different, and that's why I think the attraction to Deshaun Watson is extremely interesting, because if you take a look at the situation that Deshaun Watson is in in Houston, he currently has an owner in the McNairs in which they don't appear, appear to uh, care for the player, they don't appear to care about winning they are they have making horrible hiring decisions with Jack Easterby and a formerly Bill O'Brien. 
they're they're not making good decisions. They're focused on the money. They're focused on their play toy with the Houston Texans as a franchise, and they're not focused on winning. So if you take a look at what Deshaun has in Houston, you can see why he would be excited and okay with being traded to a team like Carolina, a team that has an aggressive owner that wants to win. He knows what he's doing, at least so far, and Mark Rule appears to be a pretty competent head coach. And also, you have a rising defense. You have a young, improving defense in Carolina. Uh, Carolina spent all of their draft picks last year, most of them anyways, on rebuilding that defense. Brian Burns is turning into a pretty nice prospect. Um, You have Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. He's coming off an injury, so there are some question marks around Christian McCaffrey. Uh, And Robbie Anderson and... um, is it David Moore? I think it's David Moore. They they have you know really good wide receivers there as well. They they what they are missing is a quarterback, and obviously Deshaun Watson would fill that void. I think I remember eight games were decided by one score or less for Carolina last year. So an upgrade at quarterback would be winning those games for you, and Carolina would be a contender pretty much out of nowhere. So this move makes sense. Pretty much for everybody. You can see why Deshaun Watson would be attracted to Carolina. You can naturally see. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see why Carolina would be interested in in, uh, Deshaun Watson. But what are the optics of what it would take to get him there? Obviously... You're going to want to be probably Houston is going to absolutely take the number eight overall pick and probably at least two subsequent first round picks. The deal breaker for me is whether or not Christian McCaffrey has to go in that deal or not. If Christian McCaffrey is going to Houston in that deal, I would arguably say that it's not worth it pretty much for either side. I mean, I'm not sure where Houston stands on the cap hit, but McCaffrey has a ginormous contract, obviously. And uh, with with Houston going into a self-inflicted gunshot wound of <laughs> of a rebuild currently, I don't. I think they would probably want to keep as much cap space as possible. I think they would probably want to have as many draft picks as possible. So I don't know if they would want to take on a contract like Christian McCaffrey's. So I think the deal breaker for me in Carolina is: Can I get to Sean Watson? How many first-round picks do I have to give up, and do I have to give up Christian McCaffrey? If I can keep Christian McCaffrey and get Deshaun Watson, that is a scary duo for the NFC South to deal with. That is probably, I mean, that's probably one of the best quarterback-running back combinations in the league at that point. So can you get McCaffrey, or can you keep McCaffrey, get Deshaun Watson, and, you know, send off draft picks and money compensation? Also, the other, you know, stick in the fire here is Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater has a pretty big contract. He appears to be disgruntled at this point. He's unfollowed the team on social media, and I'm not necessarily one to say, oh, oh, <laughs> he followed the team on social media. That means he really wants out of Carolina. I, I, I think all of that stuff is really petty, and I don't really take that too much weight into that. But regardless, I, I would not be surprised if Teddy Bridgewater is disgruntled at this point. I mean, Carolina is not exactly being quiet about their aspirations to get a new quarterback. Um, I mean, they were they they reportedly in on Matthew Stafford, and now obviously they're going publicly in on trying to get Deshaun Watson. I mean, somebody's leaking that news. It's probably the Panthers at some point, maybe to get pressure on the Houston Texans. Who knows? Um, but Teddy Bridgewater probably... You know, I've said this on the show before. I think Teddy Bridgewater is a decent quarterback. Obviously, he wasn't good enough to win those one-score games in Carolina. Uh, last year, and as much as he's a, he was a fan favorite for the league in terms of you know what he went through, what his injury was like, and wanting to see him come back and play in the NFL. I mean, in that aspect, he was a fan favorite. But when it came down to winning football games, he just couldn't do it, and he was just kind of an average 
quarterback, even though he had the talent to do so much more. So I think that Carolina would be interested in moving on from Bridgewater. Even though I think if he stayed in Carolina, and let's say that they don't get Deshaun Watson, I think Teddy Bridgewater would be a good mentor for a young quarterback like Justin Fields. Uh, I, I made a video, and I had a take earlier on, that I think Justin Fields would be a great landing spot, uh, or, or Carolina would be a great landing spot for Justin Fields if he were to go there, and I felt like Teddy Bridgewater would be a good mentor, uh, especially to the mental side of the NFL for that young player, whoever that would have been. So, you know, I, I think Teddy Bridgewater is probably gone regardless. Uh, I, I would I think if the Carolina Panthers see that they're not going to get Watson, they would probably try to bring back Bridgewater. I don't know. Is he a free agent this year? I don't think he's a free agent. But regardless, um, he's got a he's got a pretty big cap hit. They might want to move on from that anyways. But yeah, uh, you know, the, the idea of Deshaun Watson and Carolina is intriguing from a lot of aspects. Really, the connection or or what Deshaun Watson would be looking for in terms of an NFL franchise that kind of matches his winning mentality. Um, I think that, it, and I think that would be good for him. He also is very close to home. Atlanta is about four hours away from where uh, the Carolina Panthers are at. So that's closer to home for Deshaun. It's a, it's a very intriguing idea. Again, you got to take all of this with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, it is just a tweet with a bunch of confirmed sources that, you know, <laughs> that conf that confirmed source could be the person's mother. You know, who knows? It is an ESPN affiliate uh, working out of Greenville. Um, so who knows? But the, the, the idea of Deshaun Watson and Carolina is at least interesting enough to me for be, for me to be able to take a bite at the apple, to take the fish bait here and talk about Deshaun Watson once again on the show. But yeah, that's what I think about that. What do you guys think about uh, Deshaun Watson in Carolina? Make sure you let me know about that. You know, it, it's really difficult to talk about this. Especially because it, it's almost like a brutal reminder of how instantaneous life is and how fast that can be taken away from you. You know, we, we just got done, uh, re, re, well, not just got done. I, th I think that's a poor choice of words, but, uh, we just had Kobe Bryant's one year anniversary of his death. And that is something that obviously the entire sports world is, is very heart heavy about was the death of Kobe Bryant. He's a, he was a black icon, probably one of the greatest basketball players in the history of the NBA, one of the greatest athletes in the world, one of the great minds in terms of, of great motivators in terms of getting you to your maximum potential, the Mamba mentality. Everybody, everybody knows Mamba mentality. Everybody knows Kobe Bryant. So less than a month ago, we had just gotten back to the one-year anniversary of his horrible death with the helicopter crash, and then... Yesterday, or or Tuesday, Tiger Woods gets in a horrific car accident, and it just felt so similar. You know, you really don't appreciate somebody until they're gone, uh, especially you know these really important people, and maybe some lesser sports like like baseball. Although people will argue that baseball's a lesser, but regardless, it, golf, uh, tennis, um, you know the these icons that. We all know and we all appreciate, but we don't necessarily know how much we love them until they're almost taken away from us. And that's really the sentiment that I feel here with Tiger Woods. Uh, it's just horrific that we, you know, and, and kind of ironic that, uh, hor horrifically ironic that close to a year after the sports world lost Kobe Bryant, we almost lost Tiger Woods as well. 
I mean, for those of you who don't know uh, uh, enough about anatomy, the injuries that Tiger Woods suffered are probably career-ending, and they had to basically pull Tiger from the car from with the jaws of life. Uh, this could have been much worse than it was, and even still, it's very bad for Tiger Woods. I mean, he suffered a commutated uh, open fracture that affected both the upper and lower portions of the tibia and the fibula bones. And as far as my understanding is, this basically means that his tibia and his fibula snapped, and they punctured his skin. And it sounds like he also had a little bit of compartment syndrome, uh, because they had to cut him open and release the pressure and swelling building up in his leg. Uh, and compartment syndrome, if not treated properly or in time, means that they would have to amputate the leg. So Tiger Woods almost lost his leg, essentially. And when you that that's a career-ending injury for for most people, and that's extremely difficult to come back from. Now I don't want to count Tiger out because this is Tiger Woods. I mean, he's been fighting through back surgery after back surgery. And he is probably one of the more resilient people that I've ever seen when it comes to trying to fight through pain. I mean, he won a he won a tournament on a torn ACL or something or a broken leg, something like that. Um, so you can never really count Tiger out in that aspect. That man, this is this is probably a career-ending injury by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and it, it, again, it's really interesting how we don't appreciate these people. Until they're almost gone from us, or they are gone, like the case of Kobe Bryant. And man, I just, I mean, I can't just stop thinking about Kobe in this situation. And I know that's maybe a little bit uh, of a dick thing to do, considering, you know, this is this is about Tiger Woods. But it's like, man, we we're, we just, it just feels like we got over that heartbreak and that pain. And we, we reached the one-year mark, and it's like, okay, it's been one year. You know, it, it still hurts, but we're moving on. And then we almost lose another player in a different sport in which we all grew up with that player as well. And he's meant so much to the sports world and especially to golf. I mean, Tiger Woods, there is nobody like Tiger Woods, genuinely nobody like Tiger Woods. You know, the, the emotion that he showed on a golf course was almost unseen in his era. You know, it was always a very, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to palm clap for you, a gentleman's sport. Uh, I mean, people got excited with tough shots, but nobody played the game like Tiger Woods did. And I remember growing up not really caring about golf, but I cared about Tiger Woods. And, of course, he had his miscomings um, uniquely, as did Kobe Bryant. But, you know, once we look past that and we see how the person has changed and how Tiger has has grown as a person since then... You know, you really root for Tiger Woods. And, you know, when he won the Masters in 2019 and he hugged his kid on the golf course, I think universally, as a sports fan, we all we all were with Tiger in that moment. We felt the love there. We felt the the joy in his heart. We we were with him. Every everybody everybody was living in that moment. And it was a special moment for him. And to think that that person was almost taken from the sports world is a very scary thought. And granted, he he was he's conscious, he's alive, and everything. But this could have been much much worse than it was. Again, he he it sounds like he had compartment syndrome, so he could have lost his leg. He had both his tibia and his fibula snapped and projecting from his skin. Uh, I'm sorry if some of you guys are squeamish. I probably should have had some kind of a warning before I started talking about the segment today. But oh man. That's it, 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 again. It's very, it's very jarring when an icon that you grew up watching 
and you don't know how much it means to you and what his success and what watching him as a sports fan means to you. You don't how much you don't know how much that means to you to you until it's almost taken away from you. Um, so reportedly, uh, the car crash was a complete accident. He didn't have any you know toxins in his body. He wasn't drinking. He wasn't high. Uh, it was just a, a, a bad road um, that he that he tumbled over on. And man, I'm I'm thankful that Tiger Woods is alive. His career is probably ended at this point um, because again, that injury an injury like that, especially in golf, where a lot of the power is in you know your how you drive with your legs and your hips and with your lower back. Uh, it, it it'll be very, it'll be very difficult, I think, for Tiger to come back from this, and you know that's that's extremely sad. Uh, but I'm I'm happy Tiger is alive. You know, I think a lot about again, I think a lot about you know how the sports world just got over Kobe Bryant's death, and I'm I'm thankful that uh, we we don't have to you know grieve for Tiger Woods as well. And and you know again, he means a lot to a lot of people, and I think a lot of people are realizing that at this point. So. On from that to some <laughs> to some more uh, enlightening topics, some happier topics. Not really. This is still a more a bit of a a, a topic that is um, uh, what's the word? A topic that is not pleasant to talk about necessarily. <laughs> but everybody was really happy for Alex Smith when we saw him get back on the football field this past season. Although everybody was probably you know like hiding their eyes from the TV screen at the same time. I mean, I know every single time I saw somebody come and hit Alex Smith, I kind of like. I kind of like clenched up in my seat. I was just kind of like, oh, please, please don't hurt him. Um, it, it, it was great to see Alex Smith back on a football field. I think everybody felt that mutual joy for Alex Smith. But apparently the Washington football team, according to Alex Smith, didn't feel so in, enthused by it. And, you know, I, I think a lot of this was maybe blown out of proportion a little bit, maybe taken a little bit out of context. But an article came out on Tuesday and Alex Smith did an interview with OG and he stated that the Washington football team did not want him on the football field. They didn't want him on the roster and they didn't want to give him a chance. And he said, quote, it's like getting this close to the end of a marathon and they're telling me that you can't finish that race. It's like expletive that I'm finishing this race. So, you know, according to Alex Smith, like during his rehab, the Washington football team was like, or, or, or towards the end of his rehab, the Washington fo- football team was like, Look, we 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 don't really want you to play. Um, we 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 you're you know you're coming off an injury that is nearly catastrophic. I mean, you nearly died. We don't want you to play. And Alex Smith took it personally. And you know, listen, I, I respect Alex Smith a whole bunch. As I said, I started the segment saying, look, the entire world was happy for Alex Smith when he came back. It was really a feel-good story in a crummy, crummy year. I would argue that Alex Smith coming back and playing football in 2020 was an absolute highlight of that year, especially in sports, especially with coronavirus, especially in a time when everybody was feeling down. Alex Smith returning to sports was a really feel-good story that everybody appreciated. And I respect him a lot for it. I respect his grind. I respect his work ethic to get back. And I don't want to take away what Alex Smith has done to get back to football. But, and I I don't think many people are going to like me for this, but personally... I don't think the Washington football team did anything out of the ordinary. 
and I think I would have done the exact same thing. Now, granted, I probably would have communicated my feelings towards Alex Smith a little bit better than just saying, hey, look, I, I don't think you should play. I would, you know, go into more of the sentimental side of things and said, look, man, we, we appreciate what you've done for us. We appreciate, you know, how hard you're finding to get back on the football field. We're just not comfortable with you out there because we don't want you to get hurt again. I would communicate that up front, but obviously not everybody is a communicator like I am. I mean, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to a camera, and I'm communicating like you're there. This is a show where I talk pretty much all the time. So communication is my strong suit. Not everybody's, not everybody's you know, strong suit is communication. And with that being said, when you think of the context of the fact that, look, Alex Smith almost died <laughs> from this injury. He's sitting in a hospital bed. Reports are he's you know he's lucky to be alive, and he's sitting there with a football in his hand, saying, "I do not want to play football ever again. I'm not thinking about playing football ever again." When you think about it in that context, can you really blame the Washington football team for wanting to move on? It's like, come on, dude, you almost died. You have a for what's most people a career-ending injury, and now you're kind of upset at the football team for. You know, logically saying, okay, there's a very high chance that this person doesn't play again, and if he does play again, he's going to get hurt again. It's like, for me, for me, anyways, the Washington football team was practicing common sense when they were playing the odds, exactly like they should. The Washington football team has to put out a football team, a competent football team, pretty much every single year. And I can understand about, you know, maybe reservations, some personal feelings about not putting Alex Smith on the roster. And apparently, according to him, he had to fight to get himself on the roster. But again, like, I don't feel like the Washington football team did anything wrong. Because logically, if you think about it in the perspective of saying, okay, look, we have this quarterback. Okay, we got the quarterback. He's older. Okay. He just broke his leg in such a horrific fashion that he nearly died from it. Okay. It's like, oh yeah, but he's rehabbing and he wants to get put back on the football team. Uh, I, I don't know about that one, Chief. It's like, I understand why Alex Smith is upset at the Washington football team. And, you know, I, I don't knock him for being upset at the football team for that reason. Like, if, if you're fighting so hard for something and somebody slams a door on your face and says, no, you can't do that. I would be upset too, but to be like super, you know, vindictive towards the Washington football team for making a football business decision that is logical and makes sense. It's like, come on, dude. Like you, you, you need to be able to sympathize and view things from the alternate perspective apart from your own. And the alternate perspective, it's like, if I, I guarantee you, at least, and I, and I'll, I'll, I'll stand on my hill on this. If, Everybody else, excuse me, if anybody else were in the front office positions, the front office positions for the Washington football team, and they saw what Alex Smith went through and what he underwent, they probably would have written him off too. So the, you know, and Alex Smith did such an incredible job of getting back and, and, and working so hard to be able to play in the NFL again. It was really miraculous. It's like, it's like, you're happy for that person. But it's like when you're playing the odds and you need to plan for the future for your football team and you want to be a competitive football team, it's like you can't blame the football team for mentally writing you out of your plans when you had a near-death injury on the football field and you may never be the same again. 
it's like, and it's like again. I hope I'm communicating that clearly because it's like I don't, I don't want to take anything away from Alex Smith. I don't want to take away how hard he worked. I don't want to take away the mental toll that it's probably taken on him to get back to the situation and probably how awful it felt to to have the team that you are fighting so bad so badly to come back and play for say no. We don't really want to play you for this X X and X reasons. I understand why he's upset, but he has to have some sympathy here. Or for or some empathy rather for what that football team has to do without him, you know. You you have to find a new quarterback. You have to move on. You have to try and be competitive. And when you look at the business side, it's like I I don't think that the Washington football team did anything out of the ordinary apart from not communicate their wishes for Alex Smith correctly. Um, and again, if the, the, the reality of his injury is that if I, I guarantee you that if we go back in time to that injury, most people would be saying there is no way that he plays football again. So if we're all thinking that you got to be damn sure that the Washington football team was thinking that as well, and you can't blame him from taking the steps necessary to try and find a future for themselves at quarterback and in the moment, not necessarily feel like, you know, that, that you're going to be able to come back and play. And, and again, he did come back and play, and he, and he won Washington football. He won the Washington football team a bunch of games, and it was a great feel-good story. The comeback player of the year, a real feel-good story in what was a horrific year for most people in 2020. And everybody's happy for him, myself included. But I don't know. To come out in this interview and kind of take shots at the Washington football team and say they didn't want Gene to play, they, they didn't want me on the roster, they, they you know weren't giving me a chance. It's like you were sitting on a hospital bed after a near-death injury. Why, logically, if they're playing the odds from a business decision, would you think that they are going to just open the gates back up to you? You know, Maybe that's a little cruel, and again, maybe people don't like this take for me. But that's kind of just how I feel in this point. I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, I, again, and at this point I'm just repeating myself, so we'll end it, we'll end it here after this, this, this short statement. But it's okay. I'm happy for Alex Smith. I'm happy that you got back. I'm happy that you worked so hard. I recognize the effort. I would have communicated with you better if I was a Washington football team executive. But from a football standpoint, a business standpoint, they didn't do anything wrong. They, they, they absolutely played the cards that the way that they should. And beca just because, you know, they, they closed the door on you like that, you can't really have personal hatred against a team like that for making a business decision like that. And finally, to end the show today, whew, I got a little crank in my neck a little bit. <clears throat> Take a sip of water real quick. Uh, it was an energetic segment. <laughs> I uh, just got done talking about uh, Alex Smith, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, to end the show today, we're going to be talking about, uh, we'll not be talking about, well, we're going to be doing the eighth installment of the Front Office Frenzy. And if you're new here to the segment, it's a segment where I pull a team at random pretty much out of this hat. You can see the little slips of paper there uh, through the camera. I basically pull a team out of a hat and at random in 15 minutes or less, I have to lay out a logical and reasonable game plan for that team to be contenders and in the playoffs this next season. And I have basically no notes in front of me. I've got the record of the team. I've got the cap space, uh, according to overthecap.com, when I looked up all of this a couple of weeks ago. I have the amount of draft picks in this upcoming draft, and I have a one or two more bullet points, uh, either difficult names to remember 
or or something that I really important that I need to know that kind of helped guide me along in the segment. And today's team is Today's team is the Cleveland Browns. Okay. I, you know, I got my wish today. I absolutely got my wish today. This is an easier team. This is actually a really easy team to do today. Um, we're not going to have to take a whole bunch of time on this at all. We could probably breeze through this one. Um, the Cleveland Browns were 11 and five in 2020. They made the playoffs. They beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in the wild card round and then they lost to the chiefs in a narrow margin. I think it was 22 to 17 in the divisional round. Uh, they have about $20 million in cap space, according to OverTheCap.com, and they have nine draft picks in 2021. I guess the biggest thing to know is, I mean, the Browns are in a really great position heading into this next season. They have a lot of draft picks. They have some cap space to work with, and realistically, all they need to do is plug and fill gaps and players that they feel like they can let go and sign other players, find some better uh, chemistry players for the, the, the team. So all they really need to do is uh, plug and fill all these gaps that are going to occur this year in free agency because obviously you can't keep everybody on the team there is somebody that's going to leave somewhere and that someone that might that might leave somewhere is is potentially Odell Beckham Jr. and I think that's probably the biggest question mark that the Browns have in this situation is what to do about Odell Beckham Jr. um if 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 the Browns trade OBJ if they cut or trade OBJ uh, they will save $15 million in cap space. He has no guaranteed salary. I think he he gets some guaranteed salary on March 20th, so that's three days after the new season starts. So they'll have a little. They'll have about three days to either find a trade for him or cut him if that's what they want to do. They'll save about $15 million in cap space. And more important, the argument for letting go to OBJ is the fact that, look, OBJ was injured. He was injured since week seven. He missed, you know, nine weeks of the football season and the Browns made the playoffs. They seemed okay without him. You know, uh, Baker Mayfield still had a very strong season, probably a rebound season, a season to at least secure at least a couple more years as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, they, it, the Browns looked like they were actually in some ways better without Odell Beckham Jr. in a lot of, in a lot of areas. But one of the biggest problems was that when OBJ went down, the Browns also lost their their pretty much their only vertical threat uh, threat on offense. So, you know, the idea that, okay, the Browns need a vertical threat, who would you want to fill that gap? It's like, how many other players are going to be better than Odell Beckham Jr.? So that's like the give and take in terms of of the, the, the reasons why you would want to release Odell Beckham Jr. as opposed to the reason why you would want to keep him. And, you know... I'm going back and forth right now on which one I would prefer. I think I would probably give OBJ another season. You know, I know that the Browns looked fine without Odell Beckham Jr. And I think logically speaking, the Browns front office is probably you know, looking at it in a similar fashion in which they're saying, look, like we, this guy is a $15 million cap hit. We can cut him and have no dead money this season. Why don't we just do it and use that money to fill in other places? Like I can totally see a world in which that happens. And Kevin Stefanski and the Browns front office say, look, we, we, we love you, OBJ, but we, I think it's best that we part our we I, bet, I think it's best that we part ways. I can totally see a reality in which that happens and it would make logical sense. But logically speaking, the Browns 
it was it, as much as the Browns played well without Odell Beckham Jr. A lot of Browns fans will be quick to point out that they really had no vertical threat last season, and there's nobody there. Well, not nobody, but there's very few people in the league that can be a, a vertical threat like Odell Beckham Jr. can. So, I think that. You take your bet that, you know, Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. can coexist. Not that they can't coexist, but, you know, there's a lot of talk about are you feeding a receiver, the football, does that change how the offense flows? I would give it a year to see if this newly reformed Baker Mayfield, who has kind of figured out his place in the Browns offense, and Odell Beckham Jr. can coexist on the same team and be very productive together. Um, so I think you give OBJ another year. I think you give him a chance and Baker May- a chance with Baker, Baker Mayfield to explore what they can do and I think it makes them I think it makes them a dangerous team more overall um obviously they've they've got a tremendous offense with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and uh, Richard Higgins who's a free agent um and 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 Jarvis Landry as well so uh, they have a lot of pieces there I think Odo Beckham Jr you take that cap hit he's already signed so it's not like you're adding more of a cap hit so I think I would keep OBJ for another season at least so that takes us to the free agency side of things. Um, probably the biggest free agent that the Browns have is Olivier Vernon, who is very expensive. He tore his ACL in Week 17. He will probably want to move on in free agency anyways. The odds, I mean, if you're going to re-sign him, the odds are is that you re-sign him for like a, a, a $2 million uh, one-year deal and you get Olivier Vernon for maybe the back half of a season because the, the 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 sad and tragic thing about Olivier Vernon is that he had his injury at the end of the season so his rehab is going to continue into the next season. So maybe you re-sign Olivier Vernon at a cheap price but regardless you're going to have to pay him eventually after that. So I think you probably can be comfortable with letting Olivier Vernon go and that's kind of the uh the dark side and the business side to football. Um, since the Browns have $20 million in cap space, they have a lot of capita to re-sign the players that really stepped up and were really big depth pieces for the Browns with all the injuries that they had on defense this year. Uh, BJ Goodson, he played great as a linebacker for the Browns. He kind of got exposed a little bit, um, with the, uh, in the, in the divisional round against the Kansas city chiefs, he couldn't ca- uh, cover some of the faster chiefs wide receivers. So he's a little bit slow, but he played great when he needed to. So re-sign BJ Goodson. Um, you have two safeties that are also hitting free agency. Uh, you're getting Grant Delpit, which is, I believe, your first or second round pick from last year who didn't play the entire season because of an injury. So you, you have uh, Delpit coming back. You have Greedy Williams coming back. Um, so maybe re-sign Terrence Williams, or not Terrence Williams, Terrence Mitchell as well, who also stepped up in Williams' absence. So again, you can sign some of these players to a little bit of a more rewarding deal. You have the cap space to do it. So re-sign uh, BJ Goodson, re-sign Terrence Mitchell, um, re-sign one of the two safeties that you have hitting free agency. Um, so Andrew Sinandejo, I think you probably would be comfortable re-signing. And then, uh, if you on the offensive side of things, if you want to re-sign Rashad Higgins, you can. I think you could probably find somebody like Rashad Higgins in the draft. I think he's replaceable. As as much as he performed for the Browns with Odell, Odell Beckham Jr. down, uh, I think that you could pr- again you could probably find another replacement for him in the NFL draft this season and get similar results. Especially if you decide to keep Odell Beckham Jr. If you cut Odell Beckham Jr. and you have that fifteen million dollars in cap space, by all means, resign Richard Richard Higgins because you're going to need a solid receiver opposite to Jarvis Landry, uh, who plays in the slot most of the time anyway. So. 
and, and you know, you still have Donovan People Jones there as well, who's okay. But um, if you're cutting OBJ, re-sign Rashad Higgins. If not, you could probably, if, if you're not cutting OBJ, you could probably find another cheaper option uh, than Rashad Higgins in the NFL draft. Um, and uh, I guess the only other need that you would need in free agency is uh, a defensive end. If you're letting go of Olivier Vernon, uh, he's injured. He's going to be expensive down the line. You could probably find like a mid-level a pass rusher to go across from uh, Miles Garrett. Um, maybe somebody like, oh, what is his name? It's a edge rusher from the Patriots. It's, it, it's something junior. It's, it, um... Oh, this is this part of the segment that really sucks because you, you're thinking of a name and you can't research it. Um, I, th- I I have to move on at some point. I can't just sit here, you know, stuttering like an idiot. Uh, I, oh, uh, Dietrich Wise Jr. That's his name. Ha! We got it just in time. Uh, <laughs> Dietrich Wise Jr. Uh, he, he, he's more of a... a, a exclusive pass rusher he did well uh, in New England the past season I think it might be a good investment to see if he can be an opposite pass rusher to Miles Garrett because look Miles Garrett is going to get double teamed me even triple team no matter what so if you have a competent pass rusher on the other side it makes things a lot easier I mean the Browns were only like what 15th in the NFL in sacks the last season even with you know Miles Garrett there and with Olivier Vernon playing the entire season so um, you have some um, some capita to try and move on there and uh, then the rest of your needs really go uh, in the draft. Uh, the Browns have a lot of draft picks this this year. They've got nine picks. I think they've got two picks in the third round as well. Um, so with your first round pick, I think they draft number 26. If he's available, I think the kid from Notre Dame, the linebacker from Notre Dame, he's got an extremely weird name, and I know that I'm going to completely butcher this. It's like... Um, it's like uh, Jeremiah um, Owusu Karamoa. Jeremiah Owusu Karamoa is a linebacker from Notre Dame who's got a lot of upside. He's really speedy. And if there's one thing that we saw with the Browns in their game against the Chiefs, it's that they didn't really have any speedy vertical linebackers. And I think that this kid coming out of Notre Dame would be a great fit for the Browns in that situation. I just don't know if he's going to be available for the Browns at that spot. Uh, I've seen a lot of mock drafts with him going somewhere in you know the, the second 10 picks, so anywhere from 10 to 20 that he can be going in. I've seen him go to the Dolphins. I've seen him go to... Um, uh, the, the, uh, the lot, not the lions. Uh, I've seen him go. Um, I can't remember the team now. I'm trying to draw on this memory of the, of the mock draft, but besides that moving on. So, uh, this, this linebacker for Notre Dame would be a great pick. If not, I think you probably want to take the highest rated defensive end on your board. That's still available. There's a lot of them that could go in the first round this year. Uh, so whether that's quitty pay, whether that's, um, uh, Gregory Rousseau, if he's still there, whether that's Rashad Weaver, if he's still there, I think you take the highest defensive end on your board at that point if you can't get Jeremiah uh, Owusu Koromoa. Koromoa? I think I think that's how you say his name. Uh, round two. This is where I think I would invest in another wide receiver. Maybe somebody like Kadarius Tony out of University of Florida, if he's still available there. I think Kadarius Tony has a tremendous amount of upside. He's a great playmaker. Uh, if you decide to cut OBJ, I think that would be a nice young replacement for OBJ. There's no way to tell if he's going to be as talented as that, but still, it's an option. Uh, he might fall to you in the second round because he does have a bit of an injury history. But I think if he stays healthy in the pros, he's going to be uh, a really 
really nice star for whoever he goes to. I think the Browns would be a nice place for him, especially uh, with a lot of play action, playmaking ability. That's the type of offense that the Browns like to run. And, you know, in the third round here, as we wrap up the segment, um, I think you can probably invest another pick at the cornerback or safety position, regardless of, uh, of how, you know, many people you sign in free agency or how many of those people you re-sign in free agency. Again, I talked about earlier in the segment, the Browns probably want to re-sign those people who came up and stepped in while they their stars were out. So while Grant Delpit was out, you had Sendejo uh, step in. While uh, Greedy Williams was out, you had Terrence Mitchell step in and play reasonably well. So re-sign those guys. I would spend uh, a pick on either a, a, a safety or a cornerback in uh, the third round. You do have two third round picks, if I remember correctly. I think I actually have that in my notes. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, they, they have two third round picks. So, um, other than that, maybe you might even want to take another tight end, like take a, take a, a, a Y tight end in, uh, that third round slot to go across from Austin Hooper who played okay. He had an okay season. I, I, I'm not thrilled with Austin Hooper. Uh, but maybe you can grab a tight end in the fourth round that uh, is a good blocker, will help with the run game with Nick Chubb, and also can break out in pass formations as well, apart from Austin Hooper. And uh, I think that the Browns are very well set. I mean, they've got the cap space, they've got the draft picks, they've got a lot a lot of talent, clearly, and I think they are absolutely contenders, regardless of what I would do in this offseason. But, that's, of course, that's the segment. I take a logical game plan for a team randomly. Uh, in 15 minutes or less, I think we hit our marker today. So that's been the Browns for this episode or this installment rather of the front office, front office frenzy. Tune in next time to see if we do your team next. And that is the end of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. We got through it. Um, it, w- it was a slow start today, but we ended up picking up steam towards the end, and I had a really fun time today. So thank you so much for listening and watching, as always. Uh, highlights will be posted on YouTube as per usual. So this has been the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast, and behalf- on behalf of me, Nick Ryan, stay hard-headed, but have a nice day. <laughs>